Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. My apologies for not having an episode last week. I literally forgot all about it. I have not watched TV, um, and Monday morning came, and... I got a text message from one of my friends who listens to this and was like, hey, is it my app or is your podcast not up today? I was like, oh, right. Um, I didn't do it. So, yeah, <laughs> I've been busy. Um, the world is open and uh, that's not exactly a great thing all the time. But yeah, things are happening again and you know it's uh it's the end of the semester at the school that I teach at it was holy week in the church that I work at and you know last week was easter and I actually got to see my family for a little bit and then you know I'm in a show that was in tech and it was I I've barely watched tv I think I've watched in total like it's sunday and I think this week I've watched in total like maybe 5 or 6 TV shows like I still haven't watched the Orange County reunion. I haven't watched New Jersey Housewives. I haven't watched Restaurant Wars of Top Chef. Like I'm just behind on like everything. And uh, yeah, so this week I'm I'm doing like a speed round of like okay, this is what I watched. I guess I'll just talk about all of it. <laughs> um, but let's get to some news. So. IMDb TV, which I've talked about before because I don't know what the fuck it is. I figured it out this week. IMDb TV is its own thing. It is a free streaming service, kind of like Pluto or Tubi. Um, and it's owned by Amazon. So Pluto is owned by CBS Viacom. So if you go to Pluto, which I've recommended as on the podcast a long time ago as a service that you should be watching, it's fun. It's free. It's like reruns. Of, it's channels, but also on demand. And there's there's ads for everything. But it's very fun. Like I mentioned last year when I recommended it that I put on like the French Chef and shit, the Julia Child show, and just like zone out. Um, and they have like Jersey Shore as a channel and Drag Race and all kinds of that stuff. Um, and then like Tubi is owned by Fox, this IMDb TV is like that. It's a free streaming service, I believe with ads that is owned by Amazon and you can get it like as a channel on Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, all that stuff. Well, the reason I figured out what this finally, I finally figured out what this is, is that they're rebranding it and not calling it IMDb TV anymore, which good, because that is a stupid mouthful to say. And also makes it confusing. And they're rebranding it as Amazon Freevee, which is also not a good name, but at least, I don't know, tells you where to find it. Like if you have a fire stick, it's on Amazon. If you have Amazon, you can find it there. Um, or you can just get its own channel and it's Freevee because it's free TV, What whatever. Um, they have some stuff coming up this summer, apparently, that they are going to be launching. So they're rebranding and hoping to get new eyeballs on it. And like, okay, cool. Good for you. Speaking of streaming services, CNN Plus, which was the paid subscription version of CNN that came with like bonus originals and maybe other stuff. I don't know. 
they started advertising it during uh, New Year's Eve when Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper hosted. And I know Anderson Cooper had another show. I think there was like another Don Lemon show. And like maybe you can watch CNN without commercials or something. Or there's like special channel. I have no idea. Um, It launched the first week of April. And they're already getting rid of it. (laughs) So clearly a failed experiment. Um, I think everyone kind of climbed on board with the streaming boom after the streaming boom so like when we're thinking like of the the big players we have you know obviously there's like netflix amazon even but like the big ones are like netflix and disney plus and hulu right like those are the big ones amazon is up there but that's mostly because people have prime i think people have prime for like the free shipping and the video is just kind of a bonus. Like I think a lot of people have access to prime and then almost video and then just never use it. I'm one of them. I forget about Amazon prime being a video service quite often until there's something that I want to watch. I'm like, Oh, right. Let me add a million things to my queue and then never watch them. Um, and then, you know, like now we have Paramount plus we have what discovery plus, um, we have all of these channels like trying to launch premium versions of these things uh, of their regular services to get money. And it's not always been successful. Like even Paramount Plus I is owned by a major thing and like is trying to do originals, is doing this like movie deal, is trying to keep up with like the HBO Max model and all of that, but like they're not releasing content at a clip that makes it worthwhile for most people to subscribe. I think that's the issue they're running into. Um, and then CNN, obviously, that's the issue they ran into is like, the, what is the point of paying for news? Like, if some, like, let's say who wants to pay for CNN Plus is probably someone who already pays for like the New York Times, maybe pays for like the New Yorker or a Washington Post, and probably also already has cable and regular internet and like what is the point of getting cnn plus like to watch another anderson cooper show why why watch another anderson cooper show when he's on free tv or tv you're already paying for every day like of all the models or or of all the premium services this was probably the most ill-conceived and it's going bye-bye after like three weeks so yeah And then speaking of Paramount Plus, the only news that I've cared about over the past couple of weeks, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 7 finally revealed its cast. And I'd heard rumblings of this for about a year now, and I'm so excited that it was real. All-Stars Season 7 is an all-winners season. All-winner seasons of reality shows are pipe dreams most of the time, or they take forever to get like Survivor finally had an all winner season right before the pandemic. And it was because, you know, they needed 20 or whatever winners that they could get to return. And that's, you know, some when you're on the show for 20 something years, you know, a lot of the earlier winners, you're not going to get to be able to come back or they've already brought back some of the winners like Tina. So, to get an all winner season, Top Chef, we just got a couple of years ago. To get an all winner season of Drag Race has been a pipe dream of fans for a while now. 
And especially in the past few years when they've been churning out more and more seasons of Drag Race between regular seasons and all-star seasons and international seasons. Um, and we're finally getting one. And there are only eight contestants, so it's left the door open for more people in the future to do this. And they've also introduced one of uh, one all-star winner from a international season, which opens that up. So very exciting. It's launching on May 20th on Paramount Plus with two episodes. And I can't wait. So we have for the cast, the winner of... Let's start and work our way back. So... We have the winner of season 12, Jada Asintal. The winner of All Stars season 5, Shay Coulee. The winner of UK season 1, The Vivian. All Stars season 4 winner, Monet Exchange. And Trinity the Tuck, both are back. Both won All Stars season 4. The winner of season 11, Evie Oddly. The winner of season five, Jinx Monsoon, and the winner of season three, Raja. That is such a great cast. It is not... Okay, I will say this. As excited as I am for this cast, this is not my dream cast of an all-winner season. I don't think it's anyone's dream cast of an all-winner season, honestly. And it does feel a little um, kind of... Uh, to me, to have an all-winner season and not have any of the most popular, most famous, and most successful winners. No shade to any of these queens. They are not the most successful winners of this show. That's Bianca Del Rio, Trixie Mattel, and Alaska. Like, pretty inarguably, they are the top three winners from this franchise. And then also, like, Bob the Drag Queen is in there. So to have a season of all winners and not have any of those queens is kind of like, well, okay, but what about the real winners? It's got a little bit of that feeling. But I mean, like, let's, I mean, they're all winners. Like, they, they literally all won season. So, like, even though they may not be the most famous or most successful winners of their seasons, they are fucking winners. And, like, to have a Raja and a Jinx in there is so delightful. I've mentioned before that I am one of the people who has literally been watching Drag Race since episode one, season one, aired live on Logo in 2009. That is me bragging. It is also me just stating a fact that I've watched all of this happen and I've also watched this popularity grow and the demographic of the audience change. And I think like for what the show is now, this is a good crop of queens. Because it does have very recent winners like Evie and Jada and Monet and Trinity and Shay. Like these are all queens that people have seen in the past few years so they'll be familiar. But it also has Jinx and Raja who will introduce people to this old school version of Drag Race. Maybe to some people who haven't caught up on old seasons. Kevin, I'm looking at you. Um, to encourage them to go back and watch those old seasons because that's where the shit was at bruh that is where it was at the caliber of talent has changed so drastically i think over the years and it and it, it's a different thing now like jada and evie won seasons that i'm sorry to say they never would have won if they were on 
season three, four, five. Like, Jinx Monsoon was on one of the strongest seasons of Drag Race in history and won. Like, that was the season, lest we forget, that she beat Alaska, Roxy Andrews, who, even though none of us liked, made it to the finale twice, season five and All-Stars 2, even though she was not hugely popular. Detox, who, again, made it to the finale of All-Stars 2. Like, she beat some queens. Alyssa Edwards was season five. Coco Montrese was season five. Like, season five was so strong that almost every single queen from season five has been back on All-Stars, including now its winner. So, like, that's amazing. And then Raja is the original fashion queen winner. She was the first queen to win who was a fashion-forward queen. So I'm just, I'm so excited to see this, to see what it's like to have these new school winners mixed with old winners. And then we have the Vivian in there, who I really enjoyed on UK season one. Um, I cannot wait to see how a UK queen interacts on an American season of Drag Race with American winners. Because, you know, like, there is this kind of feeling with fans of, like, okay, but the UK winner doesn't actually get anything. So, like, What's the point of even trying to win? I felt this way with UK versus the world that just ended a few weeks ago. Like, what's the point of even trying to win when there's no cash prize? When, you're when your win is just like, you get a title and a trip to America. Like, okay, great. They're going to go to America anyway for work to tour and shit. So I'm very curious to see how the Vivian kind of interacts with these queens and how it's done. I'm also very inter interested to see what the format's going to be. What I have read online, they haven't announced yet, but what I've read is that it's going to be no eliminations, that the whole cast is going to be there the whole season, and it may be like points-based rather than um, like winners, losers, um, eliminations, lip syncs kind of thing that you're go that it's going to be a point system and then a finale top i don't know three four five something like that which would be very interesting to me and also the cash prize is two hundred thousand dollars instead of one or 150 as it was on season 14 and there are also going to be 12 episodes which is a long season and i cannot wait because 12 if there are sincerely if there are 12 episodes and no eliminations we are going to be seeing some fucking incredible drag and i cannot wait i'm so excited for this season okay that launches may 20th on paramount plus i cannot wait renewed and canceled life and beth which i reviewed i think last episode on hulu got renewed for season two making the cut on amazon prime that tim gunn heidi klum fashion show got renewed for season three and the goldbergs on abc got renewed for season 10 and then netflix canceled some other show that i've never heard of which they tend to do called on the verge after one season okay god damn i rambled very this sorry <laughs> this is gonna be a long episode i feel like because i have so many thoughts and i have not organized myself whatsoever so stay tuned for this episode have fun Okay, I haven't had a whole lot of time, as I mentioned, to watch TV. Um, so I'm just going to plow through some of the stuff that I actually have been watching and enjoying for the most part, except for one big old exception. Okay, so this last week, The Flight Attendant came back for season two on HBO Max. If you did not watch season one of The Flight Attendant, how dare you? Um, you need to go watch season one of The Flight Attendant. It was very good in a very surprising way, I feel like. Um, 
I don't, I guess I don't, I didn't expect very much out of it when I watched it. Um, you know, like I, I like Kaylee Cuoco well enough. She was on the Big Bang Theory, obviously, and was fine on it. Like, I don't think she did anything all that special with, you know, some pretty mediocre writing, at least for her character. And, you know, she's like charming and cute and funny and whatever. But like, I don't really look at her and think of her as like, an accomplished or talented actress or like a big star. I mean, she is both of those things, but, uh, but the flight attendant when it premiered at the end of 2020 really kind of changed my mind and a lot of other people's minds. And she was excellent on it. She got nominated for an Emmy for, for the role. The show got nominated for outstanding comedy series. Uh, Rosie Perez got nominated for playing her friend. Uh, it won an Emmy, I think for its main title design, it got nominated for writing and directing. It was a great show. And I feel like not enough people watched it and, or talked about it. No one that I know watched it, or at least didn't talk to me about it, but I binged the whole thing in one day. Um, I think over Christmas break, 2020. And I absolutely loved it. So I was very excited that it got renewed for a season two, which just started this week, launched with two episodes on Thursday on HBO Max, and then is going to be releasing two episodes a week until its finale in a few weeks. It's eight episodes of the second season. So if you did not watch the first season, I'll tell you what it was about. Uh, so it's based on the book by Chris Bojalian. I don't know if that's how you say his name because it's complicated. Uh, but it was a bestseller like maybe a decade ago and it's about, so the first season, I I didn't read the book, so I don't know how closely it follows, but it's about a flight attendant named Cassie who is an alcoholic and jet sets all around the world and like is a hot fucking mess. She like gets drunk on flights. And then when she's landed and waiting to go back on a different flight the next morning, she like screws random dudes and parties and you know, she's a good time gal. Then one night, she uh, meets a guy in a bar, gets blacked out drunk and has sex with him and wakes up and he's dead in the bed next to her. And she does not know what happened. Doesn't remember. Did she do it? Did someone else do it? And she doesn't know. Is she being framed? Woo-hoo. Who knows? So the whole season is about her one trying to figure out what happened, but then also like using this as a catalyst to kind of confront her own personal demons like with her family life and with her alcoholism and with her flightiness and how uh, unreliable she is despite people trying to be her friend and uh, to love her how she kind of rejects that love a lot of time and it's it was just very well done there were like these cool fantasy sequences where she would talk to the ghost of the dead guy it was uh, Michelle Huisman and the cast was great. Again, Kelly Cuoco, Rosie Perez. There was uh, Zosia Mamet from uh, Girls, whose father, David Mamet, is a fucking piece of shit, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. Um, Google what he's saying if you are unfamiliar with David Mamet. Dickhole. Um, who else was in the first season? T.R. Knight from Grey's Anatomy plays her brother. And it's just, it was it was so much fun. It's like, it's a comedy, but it's also a thriller and it's also a drama. And it was one of very few shows, the only one I can think of at the moment, although of course I'll probably hit stop recording and think of five more, um, that really successfully blended those genres together. Like, I feel like it happens quite often in books. Like when you read books, it's easy to read a book that is a mystery and a thriller and has elements of comedy and drama to it. 
but it's not as successful for a TV show to kind of switch tones so frequently and um, and with such success that this did. Like one moment, she's it's a spy thriller, right? And she's like trying to figure out um, where this dead man went. And the next minute, it's a deep ass drama where she's like confronting her past. And then, but then it's Kaylee Cuoco and she's like stumbling all over New York City trying to solve this crime. And it's just, it was, it was such a great show. And I'm so glad that it was well-received. I'm glad it has a second season. The It picks up a year later with season two. She Cassie has now moved from New York to LA. She's still a flight attendant, but now she also works for the CIA and um, tails people for them. And she gets an assignment that sends her to Berlin. And uh, while she's there, she's tailing this guy who... Um, she later finds out is also in AA. She has joined AA as nearly a year sober. Um, and they have a moment bonding at the bar. It's a very similar, but obviously not counter to the first episode of season one, where she picks up a guy in a foreign land or a foreign city um, in a bar. But this time she's sober. This time she has the experience of the last year. This time she has um, sobriety under her belt and she's really worked on herself. And, she relates to this man not because she wants to fuck him, but because they're both in recovery. And she ends up tailing him, and, like, it's very standard but fun, like, thriller-type stuff. The score to this show, by the way, is goddamn amazing. Like, it is... I don't know who did the score. I never noticed music in shows. This It's so good on this one. It's, like, jazzy and, like, Hitchcock, but kind of exaggerated, so it's a little bit funny. I fucking love it. Anyway, um, she tails this guy and follows him to a hotel where she watches him have sex with a girl who has the same back tattoo that she does and her same haircut and body type. And then there's, like, people listening in on the conversation above them, and then they discover her and as she follows the guy that she's following out of the hotel his car blows up when he gets in main credits so such a fun start to it and then like it keeps spiraling from there it's such a fun show it's so fast paced like in an age where we get so many tv series especially on streaming that are so excruciatingly slow pace where like this could be a 90 minute movie and we get 10 hour long episodes it is so refreshing to have the flight attendant with it's like 40 to 50 minute episodes where a million things happen and the camera never stops moving and Kaylee Cuoco is speaking at the speed of light and there's fantasy sequences where in this season she's talking to herself, which is a great development, I think. Like in the first season, she kind of used the dead guy to work through her issues. Now that she's worked through her issues and she's not drinking, she only has to, she has herself. She's trapped alone with her own thoughts. She doesn't have alcohol to cover up her internal monologue. I think that's a great move, but anyway. Um, to have Kaylee Cuoco like talking to herself at the speed of light going from flying all around the world and like scene cuts and transitions and characters coming in and out and like 10 different storylines. It's so much going on. So it's never boring. And I goddamn appreciate that. I love it. So Flight Attendant is streaming on HBO Max. Uh, new episodes on Thursdays. Uh, highly recommend, especially if you didn't watch the first season, go watch the damn first season. It's so good. What else am I watching? Um, 
I watched Survivor again. Like I'm, I'm, I don't remember if I've talked about the season of Survivor at all. I am very bored by it. I barely pay attention. I don't know anyone's names. Like last week they sent someone home whose name I still, Lydia, I think her name was. And I swear to God, this was the first episode they showed her. Like last week or the week before, I forget which was the merge. And I swear to God, this happens every season on Survivor. They merge and they show people for the first time. There are people, Lindsay is one of them. Lydia is one of them. They never showed these people. Never. I have no idea who they are. And then all of a sudden, Lindsay is like about to win a challenge. I'm like, but who the fuck is Lindsay? And I, this is the problem with Survivor in general is that they're adding so many stupid ass twists and things to the game to try to like screw with the viewers at home and screw with the players and keep it lively. When like, what would make this show interesting is casting interesting people and letting us get to know them. That's why we loved Survivor in the first place. 20-something years ago when Survivor started, the reason we liked it is not because it was full of twists and turns and advantages and all this bullshit. It was because we watched a bunch of people who had nothing in common and we got to know them living on an island by themselves with no food. That's why we liked it. We had over-the-top characters who played into these archetypes and it was interesting. That's what we need. We don't need these damn, like, legacy advantages and the phrase advantages where you don't have a vote until all three phrases are said. And then it's like, I'm what the goat on the pasture butterflies or our dead loved ones saying hi, like whatever the fuck these phrases are, they're so stupid and annoying. Um, and I, there are so many people, the series is almost over. There's like four weeks left. The season's almost over and there are like 20 people still left. And I don't know who half of them are. It's so annoying. I, was so happy to have Survivor back in the fall and they have fun bulbs and I don't know how they can fix it, but I'm done with it. Not done with it. I'm That's a fucking lie. I've been watching the show for 20 years. I'm not done with it, but I'm really over it. Like I, I watch it and I do not pay attention to what is happening. I am on my phone. I am answering emails on for work. I am, I don't pay attention. It's boring. Come on, Survivor. Step the pussy up. What are you doing? Make it lively. And that does not mean give us some more damn twists. Like with what Sir F Drea, I think it was this week, had to pull an advantage out of a can of paint. And was like, oh, you're caught red-handed. Oh. So stupid. So stupid. Stupid. And she has like five advantages now. It's not, it's not fun. It's just not fun. What else? Okay. The Mass Singer. Also, I just realized that I said I was talking about TV I was liking, and then I said that I don't like Survivor, and I don't like The Masked Singer either. So, I lied. <laughs> the Masked Singer finally unmasked Rudy Giuliani this week. And it was so much worse than I thought it was going to be. Like, we all knew this was going to be an ugly moment in the show's history. Not that they haven't done it before. Like I said, they had Sarah Palin on one year, and like, that... Uh, homophobe from the Duck Dynasty was on last season and the same season as Todrick Hall almost won. Like, it's just, they're not, they they love to cast, Caitlyn Jenner, like, they love to cast garbage people. Um, but Rudy Giuliani is kind of like, that's, that's, that takes the garbage cake. Um, and he was finally unveiled this week and it was horrifying, not only because it was Rudy Giuliani, but because of like knowing it was going to be Rudy Giuliani and knowing that, especially because this was the third group that it had, that we knew when the episode started, 
Rudy Giuliani was going to go home. That we did not know which costume he was in when he was singing, but we knew this was the episode where he was going home. Because it was reported that he was, like, in the filming schedule, he went home basically first. And since he wasn't in the groups that were on that group A or B, we knew that he was going to be in the first episode of group C, and that's what this week was. So we knew it was coming. So when the package of clues started playing, and it made him seem, like, cute and fun... And when they asked him, why did you do the show? And he's like, well, I have a granddaughter and I want to show her how much fun I can be. And like, when someone is under active investigation for trying to basically commit treason, trying to like overturn a fair election in our country, um, they shouldn't get to go on TV and rehab it by talking about how much they love their grandkids and dressing up as a giant children's toy because his costume was Jack in the Box. He was literally dressed up as a giant children's toy. They could have put him in some ugly, gross thing. They didn't. They put him in a children's toy. Um, so that was horrifying. And then Nicole Scherzinger had no idea who he was. Even when they unmasked him, Robin, Robin Thicke's guess for who it was was Robert Duvall. And Nicole Scherzinger, when Rudy Giuliani was unmasked, turned to Ken and goes, is that Robert Duvall? Okay. Let's unpack that for about 10 minutes. Um, number one, what fucking privilege, what wealth privilege you must have to literally not know who Rudy Giuliani is in the year 2022? Like, you didn't pay attention to anything happening in the last five years, let alone in the last year? You didn't pay attention to the hair dye dripping down the face, to the fucking insurrection, to trying to overturn the election in 2020, to the four seasons landscaping porn hub I like issue. You had no idea of any of this. You don't know who the fuck Rudy Giuliani is, even when they've said his name. The absolute insanity of paying so little attention to what is happening in our world and affect in our country in particular and affecting so many people who watch this show, listen to your music, support you. And you have no idea who this person who is like trying to actively destroy lives. <laughs> Sorry about it. You don't know who that is. You are a fucking clown. You're a clown and you're dancing up there with your clown ass sister, Jenny McCarthy, as Rudy Giuliani is singing bad to the bone. I wish I was making this up. They dressed him up as a Jack in the box. And then he sang bad to the bone while talking about how he was trying to rehab his image and wanted to do this for his grandkids. And they so made it, the editors so made it seem like, oh, look how cute this is. He loves his granddaughter. Oh, good old Rudy Patootie. We're so glad you were here. No. No. Sorry if I just blew your eardrums out. No. Go to hell. Take him out of that box and put him in a cage. A jail cell. Fuck this man. And then Jenny McCarthy, who like, shocking, 
does not have any issue with this. The leader of the anti-vax brigade from like 15, 20 years ago is up there dancing with Nicole Scherzinger as he is singing. And the only judge with a spine was Ken, who crossed his arms, said nothing the whole time Rudy was talking. And then as he started singing, walked off stage and muttered under his breath, I'm done. That's all they showed. Robin Thicke apparently followed him off to like check on him, not because he objected, because Robin Thicke is also garbage. Um, go ahead and look up the shit that's been said about what he's done. So I've always had issues with this judging panel, and this really magnified it. And the bottom line is, watching Jenny McCarthy and Nicole Scherzinger dance, literally dance, as Rudy Giuliani sings Bad to the Bone, dressed as a toy, was absolutely the sunken place. It felt so dirty and so disgusting. I will never think of this show or watch the show the same again. I don't know if I'll ever watch the show again. Like it felt that way where like I felt gross about myself for watching it. Like there were so many think pieces published the day after hours after this episode airs up aired about how this was like a new low for reality TV. And like, I a hundred percent agree. And that is really saying something for a genre that has given us fist fights, broken glass, hair pulls heard round the world, like thousand pound sisters having weight loss surgery, building prosthetics, popping zits, like honey boo boo. The, the extent to which reality TV has commodified every awful aspect of humanity, and this is the most awful, is really saying something. And, like, I, I do not think I can watch this show again. I just, I'm going to feel so, I can't, I'm, Nicole Scherzinger is dead to me. Like, I, I, in my personal life, do not have time for people who not don't agree with me, but don't agree with me um, for people who pay no attention to what's happening because there is such a privilege that comes with not having to pay attention. If you aren't worrying about yourself, your neighbors, your health care, the planet, um, people who you know who are not white, people who are not straight, people who are not cisgender. If you are not one of those people or worried about those people or care about those people, that you don't even pay attention to what's happening in the world that is affecting them so negatively right now, I have no time for you. And that's what this said about Nicole Scherzinger to me is... It's almost worse than Jenny McCarthy because I know Jenny McCarthy sucks. Like I know that she and Donnie, who like, I love Donnie Wahlberg. I'm like 99% sure they vote Republican. I'm sure they voted for Trump. Like I know that she's garbage. She had the whole anti-vax thing that like vaccines cause autism. She started that whole fucking thing. I know that she sucks. I know that she's gross. But like, I thought Nicole was better than this. I remember her campaigning for Obama in 08. She is a woman of color and I don't think she's black. I, I think she's like Filipino and Hawaiian. Um, so she is brown, let's say. She is not a white woman, um, but clearly her wealth and her status preclude her from having to worry 
or to be included in misogyny and racism. Because clearly she doesn't care. She doesn't know who fucking Rudy Giuliani is. It's worse to me to like have no standing on these things and to not care than to care in a direction that I don't agree with or don't appreciate. So fuck Nicole Scherzinger, fuck Jenny McCarthy. Ken Jong is the only judge I have any ounce of respect for. And then it just, it felt gross because they were all like tweeting about it. I'm sure it's contractual. Like they have to tweet about the episodes from their official socials, even though they're probably not doing it. But like Nicole hasn't made a comment. Even Ken's account didn't make a comment about his reaction. Like they're acting as if nothing has happened and this was normal and it was not normal. And I refuse to let shit like this become normal. No. Like, are we going to have Trump on next season so that he can rehab some of his image before running again in 2024? I don't know. I would hope not. But also, at this fucking point, I wouldn't put it past the producers of The Mass Singer. Atrocious. That was a rant. Let's see. What else? Um, oh, the Drag Race finale. I already forgot this happened because it was such a foregone conclusion. Um, spoiler, if you have not watched it yet, I mean, there's no way you watch the show and have avoided spoilers until today. It's, it's been three days. Willow Pill is our winner. And for the first time in a very, very, very long time, this is the winner that I wanted for most of the season. And like... You know, I liked Simone. I thought she was a deserving winner, but I wanted Rosé to win last year. Uh, of who was in the finale of season 12, I wanted Jada to win, but she was not who I wanted to win season 12 for most of that season. Season 11, I was rooting for Brooklyn. Um, season 10, I was rooting for Monet. Season 9, I was rooting for Peppermint. So, like, this is... I Since Bob, I think since Bob the Drag Queen won in season 8... This is the first winner of this of a RuPaul's Drag Race season that I am very excited for and that I wanted to win the whole time. So that's wonderful and great. And I'm so happy for Willow Pill. And Lady Camden was our runner-up, who also very deserving, had a great performance in the finale. But the finale episode itself, I was very confused by. It was so long. It was another hour and a half episode, but like... It felt completely unnecessary. It started with all the girls from the season coming out in incredible drag. Like, they... I I, I feel like production had to have given them money for their looks. Because it was on another level for almost all of them. And even, like, Will, who did the season premiere with me... Um, said that she didn't like Deja Sky's outfit, which I did. It was um, the Sandra Bullock costume from Miss Congeniality 2, which I thought was funny because it's from Vegas. Um, and, like, that didn't look as expensive as the rest of them, but holy fucking shit. Like, Angeria came out and was the size of a small city in this, like, showgirl peacock-looking costume. Jasmine Kennedy looked amazing. Carrie Colby came out dressed as Thanos from that meme that everyone started uh, of her collecting the trans contestants. And she came dressed as Thanos, Tranos. It was so great there. Oh God, there were even queens that I 
do not like Orion's story. I never thought of in any way as having good fashion looked great. It was, it was stunning, but then they just like randomly introduced the top five and they did these lip synced to original songs, but they didn't sing the original song. So what was the point? And they didn't all seem to have anything to do with all of them. Like Willow pill song was seemed tailored to her. It was called I hate people. And that one was fun, but the rest of them were kind of like, okay. And it was very weird. Like, but then they also had clip packages that showed them like doing day drag in Vegas, which is very camp and very old school and very drag. So it was such a, it was a very mixed bag. And then after they were all done, like RuPaul just decided, okay, the top two is Lady Camden and Willow Pill. The rest of you, bye. It was just so random. Like there was no battle. There was no like sense of competition. It was just, okay, we're at the top five and I've decided these are the top two. Which after a full season of not letting anyone go and being afraid to send anyone home, to get down to the top five and just be like, okay, here's your top two. Thanks for playing. It was so weird. And then the final lip sync was, I mean, okay. Like not a showstopper. I already forget what the song was. Um, yeah. And like they all, they both had reveals and they both ended with a trick. And it was, um, it, it was a finale lip sync. It happened. And um, I think Willow Pill winning this season with her arc over the course of the year and her growth also off the show. Like we got to see a lot of her um, in her interviews for the episode talking about like after she filmed the show, her sister died of the same illness that Willow Pill has and um, that she has had some surgery to kind of correct a lot of what has happened to her body and especially her face from long-term medication use Um, and just like bringing awareness to her illness and living with this illness, but not allowing it to stop her. Like it just seemed very much like, okay, this is the storyline that the producers are going to give the win to, which it happened to be from a queen that is beloved by everyone who watches the show was the fan favorite the whole season and also did really fucking well, you know, for my money, Willow pill could have won almost every challenge, even the ones that she was in the bottom for with some editing or taking away some editing. She could have easily been in the top, like the final episode where they were making um, a, Versus for a music video with the RuPaul song Catwalk, Willow Pill had my favorite verse. And I think that if they didn't want the drama of having a Willow Pill versus Angeria because they're best friends um, lip sync in that final episode, they could have very easily had Willow win. Like if they hadn't, if they were not going to have a top five and they were going to have a top four, I think they easily could have put um, Diabetti in the, in the bottom against Angeria and sent one of the two of them home. Or they could have put uh, even Bosco or Lady Camden in the bottom. Like any of them could have been in the top or the bottom for that challenge based on how they wanted to edit it. And they put Willow Pill there because they wanted that storyline of the lip sync and then they sent them both to the finale. But 
Willow Pill, I thought, had the best verse. And, you know, she killed it throughout the season, had some of the most iconic looks all season. The the bedtime monster for the, I think it was the Amazon Prime Challenge, the Glamazon Challenge with the long arms, that was amazing. Should have won. Uh, the, the housewife with the house on her head and the help me on the back. The opera lady with the facial prosthetics. Like, she was just on top of it. And I'm so happy that she won. Even though if she didn't win, I would have loved to have seen her back for All-Stars. But again, with her storyline, I wonder if the reason they gave it to her is because there may have been hesitation about if they wait, like, two, three years for her to come back for All-Stars, will she be in a healthy, competitive place? Or is it like a now or never kind of situation? I don't know the extent of her illness and the degeneration of like her hands and her nerves and that kind of thing, which is really sad to think about too. But regardless, Willow Pill is our Drag Race season 14 winner. I'm so excited. And I also, like I mentioned in the introduction, cannot wait for all winners to start in a few weeks. Drag Race is an embarrassment of riches at the moment. And then, oh, the final thing I did want to talk about, because just to balance out, I said that I was watching TV I actually enjoyed and then complained mostly. Um, I, this season of This Is Us, again, I complained about earlier um, a few weeks ago on the podcast, probably back in February, about why I di- how I didn't understand why they are moving so slowly through the storylines when they have so few episodes left. We still, we don't have very many episodes left. I think there are five episodes left as of me recording this. And they're like really doing some movement with the season. And like every episode is giving us some surprises. We're getting a very, a mix of a very uh, unexpected mix of past, present, and future. And... This episode that aired uh, probably two weeks ago by the time you listen to this, uh, Katobi, is about the dissolution of Kate and Toby's marriage. And I feel like this is the only plot point on this show that I talk about on the podcast. Like, last year when I recapped the finale, the big surprise was that Kate was marrying someone who was not Toby. And last time I talked about it, that, like, because that was the flash forward we got, when are we going to get to that point? Where's the the dissolution of Katobi. Well, here we are. Um, we This episode with Kate and Toby breaking up and Kate moving on and like the interim years of their interactions together, I cried harder and more frequently during this episode of This Is Us than I have during any episode of This Is Us. And for those of you who have watched This Is Us, that is fucking saying something. <laughs> I cried more in this episode than I did when Jack died, when William died. Um, it, And it's not because there's like a big event that is tragic and traumatic. Um, it's, and this is what this season is doing so damn well is that It's about these little moments that are so emotionally draining and like are meant and wreck you kind of on a level, but then that ultimately are there because they're meant to happen because you are going to grow from them. You're going to learn from them. You're going to have new experiences because of them. 
Um, like when Rebecca revealed her diagnosis last year, when we had um, Rebecca telling Kate that she was going to be the power of attorney. This season, when we get the Kate and Toby divorce, she says to him, this isn't the end of our story. Our story will continue. And that's such, that's such an amazing, not an amazing, I mean, it is amazing. It's great writing, but like, I mean, it's such, it's, it's something that you tell to someone to make them feel better, but it also, there's so much truth in that, that the two of them, they have children together. They're going to be in each other's lives. And just because they didn't work out as a couple doesn't mean that they're not going to be in each other's lives, that they're not opening doors for their own future happiness and their future happiness as two people who love each other, but know that this is where they need to be headed. So to see the rest of the episode with Philip making Kate so happy and like the way that they've written that character going from like this stuck up British asshole that we've seen to how this this us has always handled its overweight characters especially kate with such beautiful kid gloves and i appreciate as an overweight person appreciate that so much because so often being fat or being obese or being overweight is treated as the butt of a joke and it really is one of the final frontiers i don't know if i've mentioned this before of things that people are allowed, quote unquote, to make fun of and to joke about and to hate people for. Like we're coming around, it's we know it's wrong to hate people for their race, for their gender, for their sexuality. And we're like starting to, you know, really examine, you know, humor that's related to like mocking women and gay people and trans people and people of color. But really, it is still acceptable to hate people, to mock people for their weight, because it's seen as something you can change. That you like, well, it's a choice to be fat in a way, that that's how people view um, weight. And that is not necessarily true. And to see the way that they've always handled Kate's storyline so sensitively in regards to her weight, but also so realistically like she has a moment when she's on a date with philip in this katobi episode where she says what are you doing with me i've seen your type and it's skinny women and i am not that and he's like you make me laugh and i feel good about myself when i'm around you and it's just like oh right fat people are people and it doesn't always have to be about you're hot but also People who are fat can be hot and can be your type. You may not realize it, but people who are overweight can be sexy as fucking shit. And you can be attracted to them and you're not fucking wrong for it. Try it out, bitch. You might find something you like. Anyway, I appreciate that and like it. And like that made me cry. And the wedding made me cry. And Toby calling Kate on her wedding day made me cry. And them parting ways on the day of their divorce made me cry. And seeing the flash forwards to them supporting their son at his first venue performance made me cry. It was just so wonderful. I 
loved it. And I was complaining about this season not moving fast enough. And I was stupid for saying that. Because now that there's five episodes left, I don't want this season to end. I don't want This Is Us to end. I want it to keep going because I love it. I've always loved it. I will always loved it. And holy shit, this past week, Mandy Moore and her husband, Taylor Dawes. Goldsmith? What is his actual? I don't even remember. The band is Dawes. Is that his name? I don't even know. Her husband, Taylor, um, wrote a song together for This Is Us, uh, for Rebecca to sing. And it is the end credit music. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Um, they gave it words. And it is fucking heart-wrenching. And you have to go listen to it. It's streaming now. It's called The Forever Now. It's on all major platforms. Go stream it. It's on YouTube. Who? Bitch. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. If this isn't the year that Mandy Moore gets an Emmy for this goddamn show, we're burning the Television Academy to the ground. To the ground. We're burning it to the ground. No one, no one, no one is touching what she is doing on any TV show. And I watch a lot of them. No one is coming even close to what Mandy Moore is doing on This Is Us this season. It is unreal to watch. Which is ironic because her first album was called So Real. It is so real. It is so real. It is unreal. I, what, if you're not, what are you doing? If you're not watching This Is Us, what are you doing? Okay, I think that's it. I think that's all I watched. Coming up this week in premieres and finales on Monday, HBO has a new series called We Own This City. On Thursday, HBO Max has the second season of Made for Love. Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the new Andrew Garfield series, begins on Hulu. And the Godfather series, I think it's about the making of the Godfather. I just had a hiccup in the middle of that word. My apologies. <laughs> I think it's about the making of the Godfather on Paramount+. Plus called The Offer begins on Thursday with three episodes. This I, this show, I'm very curious about. There was some drama during the pandemic about it because Miles Teller is the lead and he apparently refused to get vaccinated and he caught COVID and gave it to like the entire crew. Um, so <laughs> anyway, that's starting on Thursday. On Friday, Apple TV is releasing the new Elizabeth Moss-led series, Shining Girls. Season two of Undone finally premieres on Amazon Prime. And then on Netflix, the final halves of the final seasons of Grace and Frankie and Ozark are airing. Then on Sunday, Duncanville returns to the Fox animation lineup for season three. Showtime has its new comedy series, I Love That For You, with Vanessa Bayer and Molly Shannon, and my personal favorite, Matt Rogers from Las Culturistas. And the new season of Real Housewives of Atlanta kicks off. Finales. The series finale of Better Things on FX airs this week. Um, Judge Steve Harvey and To Tell the Truth, the final episode of Tokyo Vice on HBO Max, and the second half of the season of The Way Down. Pachinko airs its finale on Apple TV. Is anybody watching that? I've heard good things, but I just can't bring myself to care. And also Slow Horses. And then the season finale of Outlander airs on Stars on Sunday.
My recommendation for the week is a new HBO Max series. It's currently airing, and I HBO is killing the game right now. Like, I feel like I get like this a lot with the streaming services where, like, I will, for a few weeks in a row, recap and then recommend things that are all in the same streaming service. Like, I did it with Peacock. I did it with Paramount+. Plus. Apparently, now it's HBO Max's turn. Um... They have so much new content coming out now. Like I recapped The Flight Attendant and they have this new HBO series that's starting this week. We own this city that I'm going to watch. And then with John Barenthal, I believe it's John Barenthal. I think that's who it is. My brain is mush. Sorry. And then they also had The Invisible Pilot that just aired its finale last week. I still haven't watched the last episode of that. And I'm just, they're, they have so much content all the time. And then add in the HBO Max originals and it's just an embarrassment of riches. So I'm recommending Julia, which is a comedy drama on HBO Max about Julia Child. And I love Julia Child. I mentioned in the intro to this episode that I turn on the French chef sometimes on Pluto just for background noise. It's so comforting to me. And this series is a dramatization of her life and it's like a love letter to Julia Child in a lot of ways it's not like it's not melodramatic it's not soapy it's not sitcommy it's not salacious it is just a very pleasant sweet well written well produced and well acted 45 minute chunk of your week <laughs> it's David Hyde Pierce plays um, Paul, I didn't even mention, Sarah Lancashire <laughs> plays Julia Child, and she's not doing an impression or a caricature, which I think is very interesting, especially compared to like what I would expect. You know, I've done my Julia Child impression before on the podcast, and I'll spare you, but that like she has that voice that kind of goes like this, and everyone kind of can make, can do that voice, and that's not what Sarah Lancashire is doing doing which i think is smart because over the course of like eight 45 to hour long minute to hour long episodes in a season that would get exhausting and stupid and she's just playing julia like a real person and it's basically just about like julia child trying to get people to read her cookbook working through her second cookbook and then trying to get to like spread the gospel basically of french cooking and how she comes to get her WGBH uh, TV series that starts in Boston and then becomes nationally syndicated and then how her book takes off and then the writing process of her second book. And they've, it's a show that's very much about like female empowerment and girl power, that whole thing. Like, because the focus is very much on Julia, her editor, who is a woman, her best friend, who is a woman and her producer who has in real life was not a woman, but they've added and made a woman and made a black woman. Which is like, it's just kind of like, uh, that's not realistic, but at least they're like, they're not making it like a, you know, like a fantasy where she's the most successful woman or person at the station. And like, they do throw in that, like, she does face misogyny and racism and she deals with it on a daily basis. And it's interesting. Like, it's not historically accurate, but it is very interesting. And like making it about these, how women kind of, change history and I don't know that like women really invented what we think of as modern TV, like Julia Child and her female 
cohorts basically invented syndicated TV. That's wild. That's wild. And they invented the modern cooking show. They invented kind of reality TV. Like it's, it's very interesting to think about and it's so well done. David Hyde Pierce, like I said, plays her husband. He's, I love this characterization of her husband because I feel like in Julie and Julia, which was Meryl Streep playing Julia Child and Stanley Tucci playing her husband. Um, and like everything we've heard about Paul Child is like him as this very supportive husband and a man of many interests. And like, he's such a dweeb on this show and he's so annoying and like OCD and anal retentive. And that I think is endearing in, in its own way. And like to see the way that they paint the relationship between the two of them is so cute and fun and like their love for each other. And, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays James Beard in, in an episode and he's so much fun. And then B.B. Newworth plays her best friend. And it's just, the cast is wonderful. It's just, it's a really pleasant series. And you know what? Right now I need pleasant. I need nice. I need sweet. I need, this isn't going, this isn't purely escapist, but it's also not something that I need to like really pay attention to and like, it's going to make me angry or whatever. No, this is just like, after it's over, it's like, that was good. And really, that's what I think we're all looking for right now, is to when something's over, just say, oh, that was good. So yeah, Julia on HBO Max. <laughs> New episodes are dropping on Thursdays. Um, and the finale, the final episode rather, uh, drops on May 5th. All right, that's it. Um, what the hell is my sign off? Uh, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more news, more recaps, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>